For our scripture this morning, shall we turn to John 14, 1 to 3. I'm sure that each one of you know these three verses. It's, let not your heart be troubled. Let you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Shall we all recite this together? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. May God bless these verses for each one of us. Morning, church family. How was your week? Was it good? Okay. Well, I see it's sunny here in Squim. I was told it never rains here. But it does, doesn't it, every now and then? Just not as much, perhaps, as where, where I live. Uh, before the service began, I asked <clears throat> Pastor Mark, I said, how long should I go? He said, you go as long as you want. There's no guarantee we'll be here, but uh, you just keep doing your thing and churches have trap doors up front. Did you know that? The preacher goes too long, the guy in the back hits that button, and out I go, and you guys just kind of carry on your business. But uh, I'm going to talk, I'm going to share with you this morning, uh, what the Bible teaches on the topic of fear. There's a lot of fear in our world today, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of uncertainty. And I share this message with you, not because I have it all figured out and because I don't struggle with fear or worry or anxiety. I think all of us do at different moments in our life have different challenges that we face. Uh, But I shared this message with you this morning, and my prayer is that it would give you hope, that it would give you courage, because the world that we live in today is a pretty scary place. And I can't even imagine what it must be like to to, to not be a believer and to just be going through and watching the news and not sure what's going to happen and thinking that this is it. That'd be really scary. And so we have the hope in Christ, as we've read there in John chapter 14. So I'm going to share with you this morning on fear. Before we start, though, let's have a word of prayer, then I'll open up with kind of a fun story. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come here together, Lord, to open up your word. I pray and I ask, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. It's been a busy week. We think of next week and the things that we have to get done. But right now, Lord... As we've heard the children's stories, we've heard the music, as we've spent time in prayer, Lord, I pray that our minds would really be just captivated to you and what your great plan, what your will is for our life, Lord. I pray that the message this morning would be something as I worked and I prepared it, that it would be something that really resonates, that it would make sense. It would be something that we can grab onto and throughout this next week, Lord, we can hold on to the promises of your word. We can look forward to the future that you have for us and that we can face that future unafraid knowing that you are the one that holds the future. We thank you, God. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know, ladies, if you know this or not, but men typically don't like to go shopping. Did you know that? That's not news to you, is it? See, men and women, we shop very differently from each other. When I go shopping with my wife, my wife, even if she has a list, she likes to go up and down every single aisle of the store because she wants to see what the store has. And I say, but we've been in Target like a thousand times. But she likes to look. You give a guy a list and send him to go shopping, what does he do? If an item he needs, if an item is on his list, but it's not on that certain aisle, does he go down that aisle, men, yes or no? There's no need to go down that aisle. Because what I need is not down that aisle, so there's a difference there in how we shop. And the story goes, it's a true story as far as I know, about a husband and wife that went to a mall together to go shopping and he didn't want to look at the same stores that she wanted to look at, so they separated. And she kind of goes off and does her thing, and he's off doing his thing, and they aren't shopping. And about an hour goes by, and she begins to wonder, you know, she's so used to hearing from her husband every five minutes, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? An hour went by, and she hadn't heard from her husband yet. So she goes looking for him, and she can't find him anywhere, and she's calling him, and she's texting him, and, you know, where are you? Where are you? And he's not answering. Well, eventually she gets hold of him. She says, where are you? I've been calling you and texting you and calling your name out, looking everywhere. Where are you? He said, honey, you remember that store in the mall that you really, really like to go to? She says, yeah, I think so. He says, you know that one store that had that one dress that you really, really wanted? And she goes, yeah. He goes, you know that one store with that one dress that you really wanted that we couldn't afford? She goes, yeah? He goes, well, I'm in the Starbucks right next to that store. So if you want me, just kind of find me. I'm right there. And, you know, kind of a humorous story, humorous, humorous story on the difference between men and women, how they like to shop. But studies have actually been done on men. When we're shopping, our heart rate actually elevates to that of a fighter pilot. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, it's September, and Christmas is like three months away, so... Most of us will be in Walgreens the night before, right, trying to figure out what we can buy our families for Christmas. You better start early. But I did read a recent article uh, that, that stated that our last decade here in America was summed up with one word, and that word is fear. The article talked about the future of healthcare in America, talked about terrorism, what we're facing around the world. You know, just a week or so ago, there was another bombing there in London. Focused on the economy, we are more than eight years now into a bull market, and people are wondering, when is the economy going to have a, a correction? It's been a while since we've heard about a deadly virus. I mean, you know, there was Zika, and before that, there was the, I don't forget what they, what they all were, Ebola, and there was, you know, every now and then there's like this virus that comes and uh, we all have to get shots for that. The article talked about the changes in just kind of the natural world as far as like the hurricanes and how the temperatures are changing and the earthquake down in Mexico. You know, they just had another aftershock. They've had, I think, two major earthquakes in the last couple of weeks. And the article, again, summarized the last 10 years as a decade of fear. But you know, Americans, there's different kinds of fear, but Americans, we have really a love for fear. 
in the sense that there's a reason why people want to go and see a scary movie. They want to be afraid. It's a, it's a fear they're looking for. There's a reason why people like to go to amusement parks and go on roller coasters, because they want to face that fear. Now, in my mind, I still feel like I'm like 23 years old, even though my body tells me I'm now 40. But in my mind, you know, you, you kind of just stay, stay young. But when I was in my 20s, I mean, I, uh, you know, enjoyed doing extreme things like bungee jumping and I've been skydiving and, you know, because you want to face those fears. You want that, you want that adrenaline. A number of years ago, there was a show on TV. It's no longer on TV, maybe in reruns. But it was a show called Fear Factor. It was a game show. I don't know if any of you ever saw that show years ago, Fear Factor. And it just kind of the premise was contestants would go through a series of stunts. There were like three different stunts. You had to pass the stunts or even qualify by a certain time, and you would advance. And the goal was to win money. But you were facing your fears, and some of the stunts were, you know, held to do with fear. Others had to do with eating something that, you know, I'm sure went against the book of Leviticus. Uh, Pretty sure it went against the book of Leviticus. And so, but it was all about facing your fear. You know, we've come to live in what they call a fortress society. I don't know about you, but when I leave my house, I make sure my doors are locked. When I go to bed at night, I have a routine. I walk around the house. I make sure all the doors are locked. And I live in a fairly safe community. We live in a gated community over on Fidalgo Island. Just this last week, we forgot our, somehow our garage door was left open all night long. And the light in our garage door was on all night. My wife's purse was in our van, which was unlocked in the garage. I mean, you don't want to do that. But in my neighborhood... Apparently, we can do that because we did it unknowingly, and everything was still there. But we live in a fortress society. If you've ever had your home or your car broken into, you know what I'm talking about. Before I leave my car, I hit that button. You guys do that a few times just to make sure it's locked, and I get a little bit further away, and got to make sure one more time, you know, and I hit that button to make sure my car is locked because I'm afraid because I've had my car broken into. I've had things stolen from me. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know, since 1945, I'm going to get back to that article as you turn to Matthew chapter 6. Since 1945, on our planet, we've had more than 2,100 nuclear tests. And if you've been watching the news, you know what North Korea is wanting to do. They want to test another... Uh, weapon of mass destruction, the goal of getting it small enough to put on top of a cone of a missile. They've been launching missiles over Japan. And, and we're living in some interesting times right now. You know, I can imagine people who lived during the Vietnam War, those who were around during World War II, it was really interesting. But in our day, there just seems to be so many things taking place. And these are just things we read in the headlines. You can take a look a little bit closer to home, and many people struggle with real fear, not fear of North Korea or of ISIS or of the economy, but just memories and thoughts in their own mind. I think it was uh, Zig Ziglar used to call it stinking thinking, just the thoughts in your own mind that ruminate, that cause fear and worry and anxiety. And so we go here to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 6, 
Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin here in verse 25, and I'm going to read a few verses. But here Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about fear. He's talking about worry. And in verse 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not what? Do not worry. In other words, don't be afraid. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than these? Let me pause real quick there in verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen a stressed out bird? Yes or no? Like, have you ever seen a bird that is so stressed out, it's like biting its little talons or whatever it has, and it's nervous, and it's you know, I don't see, you know, where I live, when I wake up in the morning, outside we've got trees, and what do birds do in the morning? They sing. You see, birds are not promised eternal life like we are. Birds don't have the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity, yet they wake up every morning, and what do they do? They sing to their Creator. And Jesus says, look at the birds of the field. They're not worrying. They're not stressed out. He continues here in verse 27. He says, which of you by worry can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry? Why are you afraid about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But notice verse 33. This is really the answer. In verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the what? kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, when you are worried, when you are full of fear and anxiety, in that moment we are not thinking about his kingdom, are we? We're so focused on ourselves and our own problems. We're thinking about things that happened in our childhood or in our past. We're so focused living back in the past, or we're worried and we're thinking about what's going to happen in the future, Jesus tells us to not worry about those things. Focus on today. Think about his kingdom is what Jesus tells us. And then turn a couple of pages, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 31. Again, Jesus is on the same theme, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 31. He says, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, this idea that Jesus is speaking to the common people of the, of the day, and they didn't have ISIS or, 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 you know, I guess they had... Um, Leprosy was the disease of the day, and they were being subjugated by the Roman armies. I guess that was their form of ISIS. So they certainly had problems back then. But again, Jesus is trying to grab his audience, their attention, to say, don't worry about the past. Don't worry about the future. Instead, focus on the present and think about the kingdom of God. You know, so often in our minds, when they start running out of control, we have to tell ourselves, to quit listening to ourselves and start 
talking to ourselves, focusing on truthful statements, getting into the Word of God. I think of examples of individuals in the Bible, and I saw in, our, in the Sabbath school classroom I was in this morning, there was a poster on the wall, and I need to go there and take a picture because it was, it was just fantastic. It was a list of all the people that God has used and all the problems that they had. I'm always amazed at who God chooses and who God picks. Tuesday night, I was having, or I guess it was Wednesday night, I was down in Federal Way. I was here Monday, then Tuesday I was in Federal Way having dinner. We hired somebody on to work with me in evangelism. And the guy we hired on, I'm asking him about his past, and it was, it was the second interview. I was just, just he and I were just talking as guys. Um, and he was sharing with me his history, how he was in gangs and used to do drugs. He's had two brothers killed as a result of being in a gang when he was younger. They got a big family, like 10 kids in his family, but two of his siblings were killed as a, result of, as, a, as a result of gang violence that he was in. He was a drug dealer. And he shared me part of his story, and, and, and I shared with him a little bit of my journey, my story. I wasn't in a gang, but I, like all of us, have, we're on a journey. We have a story. We have a history. We have things in the past. But he and I have found it humorous that the two individuals for the Washington Conference that are going to be spearheading evangelism, one of them is an ex-gang member drug dealer, that's Nehemiah, and I was a skateboarding punk rocker who had blue hair. And uh, we just thought that was so funny that uh, the, the people that God picked to do evangelism here in Washington are just a punk rocker and a gang member. Like, I mean, they're not, you know, straight-A students. They didn't, they don't have, we don't have doctorates from Andrews. We're just people that love God and want to share Jesus. I think of examples in the Bible. I think of the example of Daniel in the Bible. Think of Daniel. You know the story of Daniel. It's in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, a decree goes out to not pray to any god for the next 30 days unless you first pray to the king. Daniel defies that decree. You know the story. He goes and prays, and the Medes, they, they find Daniel praying, and they turn him into the king, and as a result, Daniel's thrown into a den of lions. But what's really interesting about that story is the fact that it describes King Darius, or Darius, depending on how you want to pronounce his name, but it describes the king that night. So Daniel is in this den of lions. He's been cast in. He's been falsely, I mean, he, I guess falsely accused, but he was praying to his God. Daniel's in the den of lions, and I picture Daniel that night being able to sleep that night in the den of lions. But then you've got the king... And the Bible describes that he wasn't able to sleep that night. He's pacing his royal palace. The king, out of all people in his kingdom, who made sure they had the most comfortable bed. He wasn't, the king wasn't sleeping on a rock. He had comfortable, probably fine linen sheets. And if it was too hot, he could have somebody stand there all night with a fan, you know what I mean? And I mean, just the, the most comfortable place you can imagine, yet he can't sleep. And then you've got Daniel, who's literally in the most uncomfortable place you can be in, and he's sleeping. Because Daniel had so much trust and faith in his God that there wasn't fear, at least not in the sense that we think. He had trust in God. How many of you would like to be able to have trust like that in God? No matter what anxiety you face, even in a den of lions, would there be anxiety if you were in a den of hungry lions? 
The Bible says the next morning, you know the story those guys were cast in that accused Daniel before they even hit the bottom. The lions had devoured them. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that we should cast all of our cares on him who cares for us. You look at the story in the Bible of the 12 spies. If I were to ask you the name all 12 spies, you could only probably tell me two of the names. And who are they? We don't remember who the other 10 are, do we? Because they came back and they were afraid. But Joshua and Caleb... Yeah, there were giants in the land, but for Joshua and Caleb, their God was bigger than those giants. Is your God bigger than the giants that you face in your life today? David had no fear, and he ran to his giant to take him on. Because David knew who was on his side. He had God on his side. God was on his side. And that's why Peter says in Acts 5.29, the same Peter who denied Jesus now declares in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than man. Because in Peter's mind, his God was so big that no matter what man could do, he knew that God would take care of him. Martin Luther, we're coming up on the 500-year anniversary, Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry. Turn your fears into prayer. Dale Carnegie said you can conquer almost any fear if you will only make up your mind to do so. So, uh, He says, for remember, fear doesn't exist anywhere except in the what? We talk about the great controversy. You know where the great controversy is taking place? It's taking place where? It's in our mind. You've got the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Where can those be found? On your forehead, in your mind. It's interesting that you can receive the mark of the beast on your hand, but you can't receive the seal of God on your hand. You know why that is? Because those who have God's seal are not sealed based upon works. They're sealed based upon faith through grace in Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't want to get too far into prophecy. We'll save that for another time. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 2, Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I tell you, if you're struggling with ruminating, you're struggling with, with, with anxiety and fear, it's because in that moment you're not focusing on heavenly things. We're focusing on the giants in the valley. We're, vo- we're focusing on the, on the Red Sea and the Egyptian army coming behind us. But where our mind really needs to be focused is on how big our God is. Amen. We serve a big God. Ralph Emerson, another quote, he said, fear defeats more people than any other one thing in the world. Fear. It conquers us. It defeats us. It beats us up. So what are some of the fears you think people struggle with? I went online to do some research because you can find out quite a bit online. I wanted to find out what are some of the top fears. And I, I came across a website and it was of phobias. It all the phobias you can imagine. Some of them were serious. Some of them were kind of humorous. So here's a few, and I'm going to see if you can guess what they are. Some of them are kind of goofy, just to let you know. Um, one of them, now you're going to want to say it's the fear of spiders, but it's not. And I'm probably mispronouncing this one because it's a really big word, and I have a fear of really big words. But it's, it's pronounced, I'm going to do the very best I can, but I'm, I know I'm saying it wrong. It's arachnophobia. 
This is a real fear. And again, this was on a website of phobias. It had, there are hundreds, if not thousands of phobias, but a, I started up there at A, arachnophobia, and it's not the fear of spiders. It's a real fear. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Like, this is a real fear people have. Like when you're on a picnic and they give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you break out on a cold sweat. I mean, there are some people with this fear. Here's an easier one, and you tell me what it is. Aerophobia. Yeah, you know, fear of flying. What about necrophobia? The fear of death, yeah. Glossophobia. You're saying it, or you're pointing to it, you're right. It's not the fear of gloss. It's the fear of public speaking. And it turns out the fear of public speaking is actually, guess what? It's the number one fear. You know what number two was? Death. Think about that for a moment. You, you've done some funerals, haven't you, Pastor? You've conducted some funerals. That means when you're doing the funeral and you've got, you know, sometimes people like to have a casket down here in the front, you know, an open casket. That means if you're doing the funeral and you were to take kind of a poll of the audience, more people would rather be in that casket than up here given the, the, the eulogy. Imagine that. That's interesting how we are. So public speaking, what about zoophobia? That's the fear of what? Animals. Here's an easy one. Phobia-phobia. Just the fear of fear, right? Now here's the one that I struggle with a little bit. Sinophobia. That's the fear of dogs. You say, really? You're afraid of dogs? Well, let me explain. I'm not afraid of little dogs. You know, pretty much if a dog is smaller than a cat, it is not legitimately, in my book, a dog. All right? I know I just offended some of you, but that's okay. I'm talking about the big dogs, like, like the ones with that UPS carrier. You know, the big pit bulls, the big kind of dogs that can attack you. I'm, I'm a little bit leery. And I've done a lot of door-to-door giving Bible studies, and I've knocked on doors. I've been chased by dogs. So it, it's the big ones that I'm afraid of, the vicious ones. You know, a couple of weeks ago, and it's happened more than once, I was in Anacortes. We live close to Anacortes, my wife and I. It's about 20 minutes away. And a lot of people will go there because there's walking trails, paved walking trails through town. And I saw somebody, I kid you not, they were, they were walking and they were pushing a stroller through town. And I thought, oh, they must have a baby in that stroller. You know what they were pushing? They were pushing a dog. And so I'm going to actually change my fear. I'm afraid of people who push their dogs in strollers. All right? So if you push your animals in strollers, don't tell me because I'm going to be very, very nervous to be around you. There's another fear, and some of them are great. There's pelidophobia. Pelidophobia. That's the fear of bald people. How many of you are looking at me right now and you're nervous? You're breaking out in a cold sweat, or you're sitting next to a bald guy in church, and your heart's racing. And I guess some people are afraid of bald people. But there's another one that's a little bit more serious, and that's theophobia. What's that the fear of? That's the fear of God. There are some people that are afraid of God, or maybe they're afraid of church, or afraid of going to church. You say, but shouldn't we be afraid of God? Because you, you think about it, in, in the three angels' messages, Revelation 14, verse 6, it starts off by saying what? 
fear God and give glory to Him. It tells us to be afraid of God. But not in that sense. You've heard it interpreted as more of a respect, more of a a place of honor, more of a recognition that He is God and that we are not. It's not a fear like He's the boogeyman. But the Bible does tell us to have a fear or a respect of who God is, but not a fear like the Jews had in that they painted this picture of God as being this evil, vindictive God that would punish anybody who who did the smallest thing to disobey Him. Yet that theology of the Pharisees has actually been passed down from generation to generation. And I mean, people even in our own church today that struggle with the fear of God, they may not call it a fear, but in their mind, the way they interpret it is they feel that if they do something good, God's going to love them more. Now, I'm pretty healthy as the pastor pointed out, I like to exercise and I try to eat healthy, but, but one thing I've learned, and this may offend somebody here, it's not my goal to offend you, is one thing I've discovered in my Christian experience is that if you decide to give up cheese, it's not going to make God love you anymore. Now, it's healthier, I won't deny you that fact, but God's not going to love you more if you're a vegan versus a non-vegan. God's not going to love you more if you're a vegetarian as compared to a non-vegetarian. Is this making sense, yes or no? And I'm a pretty healthy eater. So I'm not knocking it, so don't think that I'm knocking that. The point I'm getting across is, no matter what you do, no matter what we bring to the table, God's not going to love us more, God's not going to love us less. God is absolutely crazy about us. In fact, the Bible says our righteousness is like what? But we fall into that trap. I have fallen into that trap. I think if I'm just good, maybe he'll answer my prayer. Or if I do this little thing, you know, maybe I'm going to ha- you know, have more favor with God. And that's a trap we fall into. If I don't put pepper on my food, maybe God will love me more. I got to tell you. If you don't put pepper on your food, then don't put pepper. God is going to love you regardless. And that's the message our churches should be conveying to, their, to our communities. Is the God we serve is a God of love. And how we serve and treat other people, it should just radiate through us. That the God we serve is a God of love. I want to share with you three reasons this morning that I have found in the Bible on why we don't need to be afraid. Now, my caveat is I don't share these reasons because I don't struggle with fear. I don't share these reasons because somehow I've got it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out, and I've been to enough churches to know that you don't have it all figured out. You've got challenges in your life, but I want to share with you three reasons that God has given us that will hopefully give you courage and hope to go through this next week. The first one is found in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. There we go. And we're going to take a look. These are passages that you're familiar with. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And verse 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. Paul is writing here and he says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? Should boast. You see, the number one reason why I think the believer should not be afraid is because we have the hope, we have the promise that Jesus not only loves us, but Jesus' grace is sufficient to save each and every one of us. And, and I have to remind myself that, and I have to allow it to sink in, that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. But we try. It's, somehow it's in our DNA from past generations. We think we can be good enough. God has promised us salvation. And when he promises something, all we have to do is what? We believe, we accept it. When God parted the Red Sea, what did the children of Israel have to do? They just had to believe and accept it and move forward, right? I mean, I'm I'm convinced in my experience that God has made things so easy, but what happens between our ears, we make things so, so hard. God has promised us salvation. You see, there inside of each and every one of us, there is this longing, this emptiness within the human heart that needs to be filled. Today, teenage girls to look to fill that emptiness by finding affection from boys. Boys fill that void or try to fill that void with sports. Grown-ups look to their jobs. If I can just get ahead, if I can, if I can get that promotion, that new office, if I can have that sports car, if I can have this or that, I'm going to be satisfied. Women try to find it in the perfect pair of shoes. But maybe it's not shoes. Maybe it's just feeling accepted among their peers. I use the term the other soccer moms, but just feeling accepted within the ladies here, even within the church, to feel like they belong. I heard the story once. It was of my old boss when I worked at Amazing Facts. Doug Batchelor told the story, and I think he was the pastor in the story that I'm going to reference to, but a pastor went to a home to visit a gentleman who was on his deathbed. And the man is laying there on his deathbed, and, and, and the pastor walks in, and I'm pretty sure it was my former boss who, who, who this happened to. I, I'd have to ask him for sure. But So the pastor walks in, and he's standing there, and the man is laying on the bed. You know, hospice has come, and he's, he's getting ready to check out. He's, he's, he's on some form of morphine and painkillers, and he's, he's getting ready to expire. And as the man is laying there, he's, he's, he's kind of muttering something over and over and over and over again. And the pastor had to get really close to his ear to kind of hear what the guy was saying. And he noticed that the man was quoting from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8 and verse 20. But he was putting a little twist on that verse. See, the, the verse actually reads, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. But the man was quoting it over and over again. But instead of saying, we are not saved, he was repeating over and over again, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and I am not saved. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and I am not saved. Imagine getting down to the uh, the very final moments of your life. You know it's all going to go dark. And knowing that you do not have a relationship with Christ, that you've squandered your life. There's no reshuffling the deck. There's no going around go and collecting that $200 or hitting 
free parking to stay alive in the game. It's, this is the one chance. You get one roll of the dice. And to go through life and realize all those opportunities you had to make sure your life was right with Christ. And he wasted it. The number one reason we don't need to be afraid as believers is because Jesus has promised us salvation. The second one is found in John chapter 14. This was our scripture reading we had this morning. John chapter 14, if you have your Bible, I invite you to go back there with me. I know we read it and we even (laughs) quoted it together. But let's look at it again. In John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 3, again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And and I imagine he could just kind of read their expression. He knew they they were facing some challenges. And he says in John 14, let not your heart be what? Is your troubled heart this morning? Is your heart, I should say, is your heart troubled this morning? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus gives us the hope of heaven. He says, look, I am, I, I'm going to go for a season but I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again. And that's the hope. That's the blessed hope as Paul describes it. When Paul was faced, when he was chained in that Roman prison, when Paul was being beaten, when he was being shipwrecked, Paul found his hope in Christ. He knew and believed that Jesus was coming back again. You look at the book of Revelation. I I should say the New Testament. One out of 25 verses speaks on the second coming of Christ. You go to the book of Revelation and there's a single theme that runs through that last book and that is Jesus is coming back again. Revelation 1-7, behold, he comes quickly. You go to chapter 22 three times, behold, he comes quickly, he comes quickly, he comes quickly. It's as if you miss it the first time, he repeats himself. If you were dozing off in church, he repeats it a second time, right? Or a third time. The theme is Jesus is coming back. The second reason we don't need to be afraid is because Jesus is coming back. And that's not pie in the sky. People may mock it. You may say, I believed this since I was 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, I thought he was going to come. And now I'm 80 years old and it seems 70 years have gone by. He will come. In his time, he will come. The third reason we don't need to be afraid and our final Bible verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Here Paul is quoting from the book of Isaiah. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. You see, God has promised us salvation. Jesus has promised that he's coming back again. But here he also gives us the hope, the promise that he is preparing a place and it is something that we can't even imagine. You can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like. When he creates, recreates this new earth. Have you thought about heaven? Have you imagined in your mind what that first day is going to be like? I don't watch a lot of TV. Most of the stuff I get is on Facebook, social media. 
But I watched a couple of videos this last week and they brought tears to my eyes. You know, some people are born colorblind. They can't see certain colors. They go their whole life and they can't see certain colors. And I watched a couple of videos this last week. They've got these new glasses. Somebody invented them. And people that are colorblind can put the glasses on and they can see color for the first time. And they showed this man. He must have been in his 50s. He was a young guy, right? He put these glasses on. Just his expression, he was looking around. He was outside, there were balloons. They made sure there were colorful balloons. He was outside, he was looking around, he was just like, wow. Seeing colors he had never seen before. He looked down at his pants, he said, that's why they called them blue jeans. He had never seen the color blue before. Like his jaw dropped and tears were coming down his cheeks and this sin ridden world to him was beautiful as he was looking around. Imagine what that first day is going to be like in heaven when we put on our own spiritual goggles, so to say, and we look around and say, wow, I didn't know shades of that color even existed. I didn't know it was going to be this beautiful. I knew it was going to be good. If you read my bio, you know, one of my hobbies I like there in the bulletin is I like to go surfing. And 20 years ago, there weren't too many of us, but I can remember taking the ferry across from Coopville to, when I lived in Oak Harbor to Port Townsend to drive along the 101 to head down to either Elwha River Mouth or I'd go out to La Push to go surfing. And uh, I've been up here in the Northwest for about 20 years now. And every now and then you'll see, I, I see more and more guys now with surfboards on top of their cars. In fact, Monday night when I was heading home, there was a guy on the ferry with a surfboard and we talked for about 30 minutes. So we had that connection, that, that, that bonding. But last spring, I, my wife and I and our kids, we went to, uh, went to Hawaii for a week. Went to Kauai. If you go to Hawaii, I'm going to tell you right now, just go to Kauai. Such a beautiful island. Oh, I've been to a few of them, and Kauai is it's my favorite. I love it. But we are at, uh, I think, Poipu is the name of the beach. All the words sound the same to me. Poipu. And I went surfing there. It was a fun beach. They have sea turtles right there on the beach. You watch them. And the sea turtles, real slowly, they kind of graze out into the water, and the water's crystal clear. I had a surfboard, and I paddled out there to a place called Shipwrecks. Kind of fun to surf a place called Shipwrecks, you know? And um, just a sea turtle was swimming out there by me. I'm paddling out there, and the water's clear, beautiful. The weather was warm and beautiful. Big old white, puffy clouds up in the sky, and I'm sitting there on my surfboard, just enjoying life. I don't know about you, but every now and then we have those moments in life where we say to ourselves, can it get any better than this? Have you ever had one of those moments before where you're just in that, like, can it get any better than this? Let me describe some of those moments for you. 18 years ago in Laconor, when my wife was all dressed up and my beautiful wife walked down the aisle at our, at our wedding and I was standing here, well, not here, but at the church, and I remember thinking, wow, she chose me. I get to marry this lady. Luckiest guy in the world. She picked me. 
How cool is that? That was one of those moments. When my daughter was born, when my son, were bo- when my son was born, one of those moments. It's just like, man, this is real. But out there on that, in Hawaii surfing, I was in one of those moments. I remember I said to myself, and I said to God, I said, can it get any better than this? And I felt God speak to my heart. He said, Tyler, you just wait. You haven't seen nothing yet. You just wait and see what I'm preparing for those that love me. It will absolutely blow your mind. And that's the reality, friends. The reality is that we are broken people. We are helping other broken people recognize that there is nothing to fear. I know we're going to struggle with it, but when we think about it, salvation has been promised to us. Jesus has promised he's coming back. Jesus is preparing a place so incredible for us. You see, the real fear factor, you say, well, what is the real fear factor? It's not some stupid game show on TV that's now in rerun circulation. The real fear factor is the thought I want to leave you with this morning. The real fear factor is going through life knowing that you do not have Christ. The real fear factor is knowing that when Christ comes back, you are not going to be ready. The real fear factor is knowing that you have sacrificed all of eternity. You've clung to a single grain of sand, and in doing so, we have sacrificed the entire beach. If you have Christ, then you have hope. Amen? The hope of glory. Our closing song this morning, I'm going to invite you to grab it. It's How Great Thou Art, number 87. Beautiful song. We serve a God, and He is great. If you this morning want to say, Lord, I want to face my fears head on. I know they're going to come. I know it's going to hit me sometimes. But when it does, I'm going to stand on your word, believing that salvation's through you, believing that you love me, believing you're coming again. If you say, Lord, I want this to be my hope today, I'm going to invite you to stand. Hey, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are a great God. You're an amazing God, and we are thankful, Lord, today that we are not on this planet all alone. There are things all around us that do trouble us, both around the world, in our own community, maybe in our own families. Maybe terrorism has come close to home through divorce and neglect, and maybe we were abandoned or abused as a child, and we're facing things, and it's challenges, and, but you're a good God. We can come to you, Lord, and there is no challenge too big that we can't bring to you. I'm thankful that you love us regardless of who we are. You love us regardless of what we've done. But you're in the business of helping broken people reach out and point other broken people to the cross. Father, I want to pray especially this morning for the Swim Church, Lord, as we look at the future, as we look at just connecting with each other, with our community, Lord that your spirit would be poured out upon this place. I pray for our pastoral team here, that you'd bless them, their ministry, their marriage, and all that they do, Lord. Father, now go with us today. Help us look to you. When fear comes in, Lord, we look to you. We claim the promises of your word. You have told us multiple times to fear not, fear not, fear not. We claim those promises, and we claim them in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks.